0: This episode is sponsored by Harry's. What makes Harry's special? Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. German engineered, five blade cartridges, close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns, quality guaranteed, full refund if you're not happy. Over one million guys have already made the switch and thousands more switch every day. The Harry's starter set is an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already really low. But we've worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code GRUBSTREET. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code GRUBSTREET at checkout. Can we do just like nothing but
1: cocktail podcasts now? Like basically like nothing but. This is the best podcast I've ever done. I don't know what's a better podcast than this podcast. <laughs> this is like a number one top 100 podcast.
0: Here. Nestled in. Here we are. The confines of the Suffolk Arms. Platt's looking around like he's never been here before. I
1: haven't. I like it.
0: This is a new. Here we go. Got an Instagram. In true millennial fashion, Adam Platt sees something he likes. He can't just experience it. He needs to tell the world via social media. So, Adam, why are we here? That's my question. Here we are in yet another
1: dimly lit twee,
0: foe, ye olde bar of the whiskered people. This is not what this is at all.
1: Why are we here? I was told that the age of the old-fashioned and the shake, 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 shake and the suspenders and the bogus ye olde gimlets was with all due as respect, dead as the
0: pork chop. With all due respect, I would say you're misreading the landscape a tad. I do tell. Here, Well, why don't we uh, bring in the owner to tell you what's new about oh, it? Yeah, I hope he didn't hear that tirade. I don't.
2: worry, sir. I absolutely love you right now. I absolutely this wine. Good to
1: see you. You don't have whiskers, that's good. No,
2: no, no.
0: So right. we are here at Suffolk Arms. This is your bar. We're with the owner, Giuseppe Gonzalez. It's yes. about three months old. Yes. We're on the lower east side. We're on the corner of Suffolk and Houston. Uh, the bar looks a little like a British pub, but you are not I mean, even the name Suffolk Arms. Absolutely. You're not British. Uh, no, no. I I'm don't not see a lot you're not British. There's pictures
1: of, like, great old East Village New Yorkers on there. There, oh are, there are
2: portraits of New Yorkers everywhere. Done, uh, in, a, done in a sort of street-style pencil, maybe, or maybe... Pencil on wood. All one hand, all one style. All one person? All yeah, one artist? all one artist. What is the name of the artist? Our name is Mandy Bluen. Long story short, when I freaking put uh, pictures on the wall... Um, it drove me a little bit crazy because I felt like my bar looked like a stage set. It, different, it didn't differentiate everything. Well, you wouldn't be alone, my friend. So <laughs> when I was picking the New Yorkers, I was like, well, how do I get guests to really pay attention and understand the significance of it? So there's nothing more flattering, I think, than having a, you know, a portrait commissioned of someone. So when you see a picture of, let's say, Johnny Thunders, who's right there. Right. You know, Harvey Milk, who a lot of people think is a San Francisco guy. He's really a New York guy. You know, Anthony Mason, Bobby Fischer, Shirley Chisholm. You know and you start paying attention you're just like all right bet like who is that person why would you waste the energy money into like having a portrait done i want you to know that they mean something like long story short everybody talks about like new york in terms of like oh i love this neighborhood i love that neighborhood to me what makes new yorkers new york great are new yorkers so Plain it's, and simple.
0: it's fair to say that this bar, I think even when you opened, you were very vocal about, you know, you want to be a part of the fabric of New York. We're not just a bar that's opening, you know, we're yeah. here, we're in the city. And we wanted to talk to you today about it because obviously you are known for, I guess you uh, the prowess with cocktails here. Cocktails are the focus here. And the cocktail is sort of the quintessential New York creation, right? I mean, they were invented here and so, you know, it kind of, it all speaks to the fabric of New York. I mean,
2: it's part of our cultural fabric. I mean, a Puerto Rican guy opened up a bar on the Lower East Side that looks like an English pub. And I always joke with people. I'm just like, well, let's think about it even, let's, think, let's go even deeper. <laughs> okay. The English invented the bar. So when you go to an Irish pub, it's really a copy of an English pub. When you go to the Scottish pub, it's a copy of an English pub. You go to McSorley's, which is, I think, the oldest bar in New York. That guy McSorley did not invent that style of the way that bar looks. He took it from someone else. So what I basically did was take the template, you know, a, a long-held tradition of copying this one style that everyone's familiar with. That, and It doesn't matter if you're young, old, white, black, Asian, Latino. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. You know what I mean? Everyone is familiar with something that looks like this. So, I mean, like to me, like that's the, that to me is what a public house is. One thing I love about this bar that I think differentiates it from other bars, cocktail bars in particular, is that you never see people actually take pictures of the exterior. It's always like some hidden bullshit. Uh, can I curse?
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, you so can it- curse, my friend.
2: Oh, <laughs> whoa, he just hit the jackpot. It's always some hidden bullshit where it's like, okay, like, take a picture of a drink. It's a secret password. It's hidden. You know, and there are bars that actually, like, you know, have that legacy that, you know, that, that are great. It works for but I want—I wanted you to be able, like, at night. I have spotlights all over her, flowers everywhere. You can see Suffolk Arms from three blocks away.
1: Well, so, I mean, I think you'd both agree that we've reached a certain uh, richness, maybe over richness, in the whole retro cocktail trend. It's been bubbling up for really the last fifteen. 15- 10, 15 years. 15
0: right? year. Milk and Honey was what? 2001? 2000. Uh, I think 2000. The, 2000. the
1: word uh, bartender has been replaced by mixologist. <laughs> uh, there's a whole sort of uh, cliched uh, collection of things that comes along with your average speakeasy bar, which really started in New York. The, 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 like everything, the mm-hmm. fashion started in New York and now it's spread a- around the globe. And so... New Yorkers are sort of finished with this, right? There's a little bit. I mean, it's it's produced a, a new generation and a you know a great sort of drinking renaissance. But like every renaissance, there comes a time when you have to move on. So is this like the second wave of something, or is this a continuum yeah. of something? I don't know.
0: I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. But now as from an well, I definitely think Adam's wrong, but I don't know if you're wrong yet. <laughs> well, no. from an outsider's, I, wait, scene, I want you to think I'm wrong. So it feels like there was that that wave of you know there was milk and honey, there, you know, Little Branch, Flat Pegu, those places, and it's now like the people who came up in those places are now branching off and opening mm-hmm. their own. So you're seeing not just this you know kind of the as as Adam would say the ye old aesthetic, but you're seeing <laughs> someone you know you're seeing people putting their spin on that. So so that's sort of so the ye ye basis of the and the template. Old. It's not even. I think it's. I don't know. You, you're the one who owns the
2: bar. But I mean, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for 16 years. I've been in cocktail game for 10. And if anybody asks me, "Is this done before?" and I'm like, ah, I don't really fucking think we've even started. I think a lot of the way people think of like cocktails or cocktail bars is fictional. Like, if you were to talk about, like, let's talk about the greatest prohibition bartender of all time. I think we use the stereotypical mustache guy with arm garters who looks like a hipster, but not really a hipster. You know, the greatest prohibition bartender of all time was a woman. She's right there. Her name is Texas Guinan. You ever see Star Trek? (laughs) Remember Whoopi Goldberg? Her character's name was Guinan. She used to call her guest suckers. She used to own a place called 33 Club. You know, all the great bartenders during prohibition left to Europe and whatnot. If you wanted great drinks, you didn't do it during prohibition because they were shitty, because you were basically drinking bootleg stuff. If you wanted a really great cocktail, you'd have to go up to Harlem, your bartender would be black, and it would probably be the Cotton Club or one of the old jazz clubs, and those were all mafia-owned. Like, there's always a story behind the story, but these are things we don't talk about. Why
0: do you think that there is this sort of fascination and this this compulsion with people when they're drinking, when they're going to a nice bar, to look backwards to try and kind of recreate a specific time a specific place like what's the romance of that well at the same time they want a bartender probably who's
2: offering something that they've never had before I mean like the quality of the cocktails I think now is better than any other time in history So, if you're trying to recreate something in the past, I'm just like, oh, we make it better now. We have access to better information, better ingredients, we know more about our spirits, or we have different relationships with who distributes. we can go straight to the fucking distiller now, and tell you, like, your shit sucks, you need to fix it. Or, like, this is amazing, how do you do it? And we go there. Like, bartenders never had this relationship before. You know, but there's also that weirdness, where it's just like, a lot of the times you're going in and it looks like a stage set. People don't make eye contact, you know, and I... And I've been, people are like, oh, Joey, you're rude. I'm just like, no, when someone talks to me, they fucking look at me in the face. And, you know, they start making the connection. Like, this is the last bar. The bar is the last place where people have to connect. This
1: bar is, goes more towards your idea of what was intended.
2: Um, God, where do I fit? I mean, if there's one thing I've started to notice, it's just like a lot of, the ki- a lot of us that came up, like, 10 years ago. We went through the whole, like, hey, vodka is horrible. Don't drink vodka. Now it's like, oh, we were kind of kidding. You know, hey <laughs> hey, that secret password you needed. Yeah, that was that kinda sucked. Yeah, the fact that you can't talk to women at the bar, blah, you know what I mean. We want to create a safe environment, but we also think that's silly. Oh the you know, the rules. I think right. like, hospitals have rules, you know what I mean? And we I mean like we're basically, you know, promoting a vice. So it's it like being like a hospital is is kinda silly. We understood the intent, but now it's like oh I mean, I serve Pina Coladas next to Manhattan's I mean, I put a Jaegerita on the freaking menu. I think the one ingredient on Yeagerita. there... I know, it's insane. It's Yeagerita. I'm going to name it's, my first daughter Jaegerita. Oh, yeah. uh, well. I'm going to steal that We're coming to the <laughs> But it's what I think on the menu I write open mind. Um, but I also have portraits of New Yorkers. I don't really tell people who they are. I want you to ask. Um, I want people to ask, like, who's, who's that guy? What's this? Why is that? Why is there a fucking Jaegerita next to a Sazerac? Well, but you know, it almost like, seems like...
0: Like, before, when you're talking about the speakeasy stuff and the rules, it's like there was this, I think the owners sort of needed a way to telegraph the seriousness of the situation a little bit more than other bars. And now there's this vocabulary. You can go anywhere, really, and get at least, like, a competently made drink that kind of adheres to a lot of the same yeah.
2: tenets. That, That's also that a I bad thing, you know, but it's, it's a, a bad good thing and a bad thing.
1: For the consumer, it's a good thing. I mean, it's the golden age, like everything else in food and drinks and spirits. We, we're in the midst of a golden age. The trappings of it can become tiresome.
0: Well, it just feels to me like there's now this, this recognition that, okay, the drinks are good. That's the most important part of a cocktail bar. Now we're going to shed a lot of this, you know, frippery and the, the sort of aesthetic noise. So it can just be
2: a bar that has a good drink. I mean, as New Yorkers, we're spoiled you know like, spoiled but let's put it in perspective okay Fact. how many cocktail bars are there in new york city
1: 400 let's million say.
2: okay <laughs> let's put it let's put it at 100 let's say even though it's not there're not 100 cocktail bars yeah, uh, you, probably th- that we write 40. about 30 40 yeah. every major city about 30 40 let's say there about let's 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 Two. even go bigger and say there are 100 major cities in new york in, in the country i'm sorry and they each have 30 that's 30,000 how many bars do you think there are in the world we're really talking about one to two percent i always like to call us the one percent
1: oh no <laughs> oh no you
2: know isn't that a horrible term we right? should call this it podcast makes you the
1: one percent <laughs> yeah I, I know it's the one percent
2: but imagine going into a dive bar and have, being able for the bar having the bartender be able to make you a manhattan there which is you know a lot not in a lot of places or going to you know, going to suburbia or going Fair. to, you know, middle, middle America, where just, like, we're really that knowledge. Like, I don't know how many times I get emails from bartenders who just want to make better drinks, and there's just, like, it's, it's really simple shit. And things we take for granted, fresh juice, stirring, better ice. You know what I mean? Don't use freaking, you know, crappy spirits, okay? How do you train people, you know? So I, did you grow up
1: in a, a drinking household?
2: Um, yes and no. My father and grandfather were bartenders. Yeah. Uh. Here's a little story. This is why I always, when I hear speakeasies, it always cracks me up. Um, my father was a bartender in Red Hook, um, worked in a dive bar, really had some personal issues. Basically, think of all the illicit shit that would happen, all the fucked up shit that could happen in 1980s Brooklyn, you know, and my dad was pretty much wrapped up in it. Um, and then my grandfather, who never drank a day in his life. Um, but my grandfather when he's like, he was a bar owner, I was just like, Oh, he wasn't really a bar owner. What my grandfather owned were bodegas. And a little secret, you know a little secret that I'm not re- not necessarily revealing right now is just like especially when you go into poorer neighborhoods like we grew up I grew up in the South Bronx. Like all the bodegas have the basement and the basement has a bar. It has a pool table, that has a free again slot machine that is run by the mafia. And then you, you know and that that's just why like in a lot of poor poorer neighborhoods you don't see bars. Um, you basically go to your bodega. My grandfather had four of them, so these were like Puerto Rican speakeasies. So when I and there you had to be quiet, and there you couldn't fucking tell anybody, and there you had to worry if the cops came in, and there it's like all right, Yeah, and like really crazy stuff. But it's like part of the culture, just like it's just how it works. So when I see speakeasy now, I'm like, Oh, that's not a freaking speakeasy. A little like,
1: chuckle, he chuckles a little bit, Admiral. He's know, a little chuckle, I I'm believe chuckling it too.
0: Um, and we are here on a. An interesting day because you opened about three, four months ago. It's yes, February. Sir. Yes, sir. And uh, you just you just switched over the menu for the first time. Yeah. You have a bunch of new drinks. Got rid yeah. of some old other
2: drinks. Streamlined everything. It's just, it's a. I think I was telling you before. It's like you know, like when you're trying to work in your house and you can't focus because your laundry or there's dishes or there's something going on. So you have to clean your house before you can do anything else. Well, like when we opened up the bar, like. I literally wrote a menu for a bar I never worked behind. Like, I designed it. I knew everything, you know. But, like, literally, it's like, all right, this will work, this will work. And now with the new menu, I'm like, okay, the house is clean. Now I know what she can do. Now everything is organized. Everything's where it's supposed to be. Now let's see. Now let's go fast. Let's, let's push the envelope a little bit.
0: Well, I asked you what your favorite drink was on that menu, which is something you can't really ask a bartender because it's like... <laughs> Like you're not, supposed, no to, are you not supposed to do that.
2: that you're
1: not supposed to do that. I always do that.
2: I mean, you can, but you're just not going to get a, an answer. I mean, I, I mean, I love the horse apple. Okay, what's that? Um, horse apple is just Granny Smith apple juice and horseradish with any spirit that you want.
1: God save us.
2: It's 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 a weird it's it's a weird drink. It basically took me 16 years to figure out to make it that simple.
1: So it's your drink.
2: Um yeah, I mean the story behind it is really simple. Back in 1999, when I thought I was the world's greatest bartender, making really poor decisions involving women and drugs, I was like, all right, I really want to make the world's best sour apple martini. So, of course, I'm like, oh, all I really need to do is just like get sour apples, juice them, and use fresh, and whatnot. So, I juice Granny Smith apples. I shake one cocktail. It's fucking gorgeous. What happens to Granny Smith apples when you juice them after 15 minutes? It turns brown. Turns brown.
0: It turns brown.
2: And one beautiful thing you learn, just like it's called sour apple pucker, you go to this grocery store, there's no such thing as a sour apple. <laughs> there's a Granny Smith apple, but not a sour apple. And fresh sour, Fresh Granny Smith apple juice tastes nothing like the artificial product. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to science this fucker. And I'm going to bump it up with malic acid, citric acid, and I can stop the oxidation. It'll keep the color green. It no longer tastes like apples, but I got it green. Showed it to a friend of mine, Jeff Morgenthaler. This is a few years later. And he's like, Joey, this is great. It's green. It looks like a sour apple. But, you know, guess what you just did? And I'm like, what, man? It's just like, you just reinvented sour mix. <laughs> I'm like, you fucking son of a bitch. So that gets screwed. Um, so I'm talking to my head bartender, Nick, and we're like joking around and he's telling me about this drink in Australia where they just juice Granny Smith apples to order. And right then it just, my brain lit up. And I was just like, why didn't I think of this before? And the main reason I couldn't think of it before back in 2010, in 2006, and 2000, is primarily because I could never, ever convince an owner or a boss, like, hey, I wanna juice apples to order. Right, you have customers 3D and they want Bro, everything, and you're, it's, you're it's juicing the It's actually faster to do it that way than it is to pre-juice. Every time I make one, I'm like, this is so fucking easy. <laughs> all you have to do is spend all your mother's money and borrow money from your partner, and then eventually you can put a juice wherever the fuck you want, and no one will ever bother you ever again.
1: So do you have respect for all of the so-called classic cocktails in the canon, or are there some that you hold in special disdain?
2: I mean... I mean, it's a, it's a big myth. Like, let's take the term classic. All right, it's a big myth. to Like, like if I were to tell you that the first ever cocktail book ever written was just blue cocktails, you'd think I, that jello shots precede the Manhattan or the Martini. The I, ice cream cocktail. You wouldn't believe me. No. no Absolutely, true. Admiral, Absolutely true. Absolutely true. He's no.
0: saying, no, I feel, like, I feel like you're walking into this one, Platty. I'm walking right
1: into it. I feel it. like
2: you're walking into I'm this I'm just go. wearing
1: my underpants now. <laughs>
2: Like when we think of like classic cocktails, like you know what I mean? There's, just, there's this there's there's story that we all hear. Just like it's just like oh the martini, those are the classics. I'm just like in you know, the original menu, I had a blue cocktail on there. So when a guest would gas me like oh what's your oldest drink? I'm like the blue one, Rented by Alexis Soyer, basically the first celebrity chef out of the UK, French. I think what the, the Royal Music Hall actually used to be his kitchen. Um, he opened up the first ever cocktail bar. Had beautiful drinks. Had a woman who had her breast exposed, pouring sherry cobblers. This is in Paris? Is this is no, this is in London. It's in London. French, but he was English. But French, but... I mean, he taught Florence Nightingale how to cook. And people think I'm making it up. Right. I mean, we have Jerry Thomas, who's considered the father of modern mixology. Jerry Thomas is a fucking fraud. 13 drinks. Oh, boy. Seven. We just seven got the, of them. We just got oh. the title. You think oh. I'm making it up. We just got up. our episode no, no, no. title. Oh, boy. Out of 13 drinks... Seven of them are not Jerry Thomas's. For some reason, he doesn't cite the one man that he got them from. He has an older cookbook, I think, one of his cookbooks. Um, seven of them are all Alexis Soyer cocktails. But obviously, you know what I mean? We never hear about it because the first ever cocktail bar was a complete failure. He couldn't, he couldn't get right. it working. You know, a beautiful thing about Alexis Soyer, he opened up a cocktail bar and forgot to invest in the bartender's. <laughs> you know, it's just like oh, I have a cocktail menu, you know, but I have nobody to execute this menu, and can, nobody gets it. Like, can you
1: we? Know? Can, you, you seem like a very scholarly individual. Can we get a little, a, a short little, um, uh, just a sort of a, a little primer or a little a little lecture on what the word cocktail,
2: where that comes from? I mean, now now you're going to need to get Wandrich. <laughs> no, no, no. And there, I mean, I've heard you different can, stories. Can just
1: for the purposes of this, we don't we don't need the great the great. it's just our listeners so they can get educated
2: um, I think he found the first one in 1806 I think it was prim- I think it was published somewhere in upstate New York Hudson somewhere
0: this is spirit sugar, me. I
2: mean, spirit sugar bitters, basically. A right. morning more, drink is what I heard. It's sort cocktail. of how you got
0: over your your hangover the yeah. next day. You would drink a spirit all night, and then you would go the next morning and basically work off your hangover by having like a slightly diluted version with a little water. I mean, I've
2: heard, I've read the story a million times. I don't remember because I never found it interesting. Where it's like, okay, the origin of the word, I get it. There's always that debate on like what a cocktail is. Obviously, things like a martini, right. you know, like. A pineapple martini isn't a martini. That's not an old-fashioned. Well, I'm like, who the, cares?
1: That's the thing about this particular field. It is a, it's attracted... Um, I wouldn't call it pedantic, but I would call it... There, there, are, there are many more cocktail scholars or spirit scholars around than there used to be, one of whom is the Admiral sitting right here. And it sort of appeals to... What does it appeal to? It appeals to... Well, everybody likes a good drink,
0: obviously. I mean, there's a drink, and there's the a story, there's a certain sense of discovery going on. I think in a way that you know, wine especially, you can't do if you're, you know, like I was like, you know, I was twenty two when Milk and Honey opened. I guess so. It's yeah. like you, you, it's sort of coinciding with like it's your golden days. Up with it's your this golden days, thing. Admiral, and so wait. it's like. You get to sit in a bar, you oh, get to sure. enjoy the company of people like Giuseppe, you yep. get to learn I see. I see now.
1: hedonism. What you're drinking is uh, this ancient elixir. Yeah. You know. That's what, if you're drinking a good single malt, if you're drinking, I mean, granted it's all been diluted and messed around, and a lot of the bottling is, is a mumbo-jumbo, however you are uh, sort of drinking the elixir of the ancient Norse gods in some way, you're sort of... So that's what I like about it. And, the connection uh, to... And, and, you know, your, these, these drinks, like, uh, say, uh, well, you know, any uh, bitters or uh, cinzano or vermouth or these ancient, uh, you know, flowered, uh, compressed, you know, they're ancient. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're at least a century old, most of them. And they're still being sold for money, which is more than you can say for most, most, uh, most things in the, in the food world. Right. So, you know, it's a wonderful thing.
2: I mean, it's, it, could, it could be a cool legacy, but sometimes you can do the oversell on it. Like, there's, like, a flower, right, there's a flowery
1: like. aspect, which is, you know, anyway.
2: But when you're, drinking single, when you're drinking neat spirits and whatnot, same with the cocktail. I'm just like, I don't know how many times, just like, I drink that brand, that brand. I, d- I identify with that. Right. You know, especially with, like, you know, a cognac or a bourbon, like, you know, because you know that, you know, it connects to a certain moment, you know, in your life or the story stuck with you a different way. Or it could be something. But, you know, what somebody drinks is always personal. Right. So that's why typically, like when a guest tells me, just like, oh, you know, like, you know, what should I be drinking? You know what I mean? I tell them I'm not emotionally invested. Because um, <laughs> what you drink is personal. Right. You know, and, and some, a lot of the time, a lot of the things people reiterate are just not based in truth. You of know? Course. Like it's, a, I, it's a fun story I mean it's yeah. a good story you know it's a good story people want like so. the speakeasy it's just like you know or the, the guy that looks like this certain way and it's this archetype I'm just like ah uh, yeah that, none of that's true that's not how it really happened right that's not really a classic what you think is you know you, could, you can spend all freaking day just dissecting it which is like why do you care like you know what's in front of you what, how can how does it connect to you kind of do yeah, yeah. And that takes time man like that doesn't happen like immediately
0: well can we have something to drink rock on like,
2: I'm
1: going to name a city and you name your favorite cocktail from it. Okay. Okay, like the essential.
2: Okay.
1: Is that okay, Admiral? Can we do it's that? okay with we play me. this game. Uh, New Orleans. New Orleans, God. Ramos. Ramos? Yeah, it's What's on the that? menu. What's that, Admiral? It's what Ramos. What? Uh, like a Ramos Chin Fizz. Oh, is it good? I never had it. It's delicious. Ricky,
2: can you make me a Ramos classic, please? Oh,
1: rock on. Oh, right, rock on. It's traditionally Key basking, Key basking. the Tokyo. hardest
2: drink to make. Tokyo, God. Ricky, can you make me a czarine? thank you Zarin, rock on Zarin. here thank we go you. rome rome ricky <laughs> yeah. can you make me a classic negroni, classic negroni on all right Keep going. um okay. bro new york new york pina colada bro
0: pina colada
2: as a god. puerto rican i'm gonna shit god me. save us. you know i'd love a pina colada um ricky that's in new york <laughs> yeah. can best. you make me a pina colada
0: Now let's take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Harry's. Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. I think any guy who's ever been to a drugstore to buy razor blades know that it's sort of a hassle. They cost a lot of money. You have to, like, open that weird plastic alarm thing that tends to go off, or they keep them behind the counter. It's just, it's a real pain. Uh, But Harry's cuts that out with its German-engineered five-blade cartridges, That have factory direct prices. They cut out the middleman. Harry's ships right to your door. Sells the blade at half the price of the leading brand. Over one million guys have already made the switch. And thousands more switch every day. Why pay $32 for an eight pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry's starter set is an amazing deal. For just $15 you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry's doesn't like to discount because their prices are already low. But we've worked out a special offer. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code GRUBSTREET. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S, dot com. Enter code GRUBSTREET at checkout. What is this? This is the... Um, uh,
2: this is um, the- that is the Tsarine. You said Tokyo. <laughs> Wow. Basically, a what gin it? martini with a little bit of apricot. The inventor Ooh. of that is a gentleman by the name of Hite- I mean, If I'm hoping, I'm saying, pronounce his name correctly Hitetsugo Uena. Easily one of the most famous bartenders in the world. Um, also, doesn't drink. Every time you see a bartender doing the hard shake or diamond cutting, um, is possibly, it's possibly it might this be something he pioneered. This is the guy. That's his cocktail. In the vodka section of the menu, I basically pick Pioneers. Every time I have a young bartender freaking tell me something to the effect of just like, you can't be creative with vodka cocktails or blah. And I'm just like, oh, well, I'm going to choose a pioneer legend who's been doing this for 30 years who did just that. Right. Maybe you should humble yourself and figure out the fucking same thing.
1: It really is a scholarly undertaking. Um, Long admiral. It's so- scholarly. I have newfound respect for the whole situation. And you know what? Bottoms up right now. Bottoms Cheers. up. There you go. Which one are you going for? I'm going for the Tokyo one, being a Tokyo man myself. You are the Tokyo loon, call, New York. Call me Tokyo platy. It's sort of weird, suitably elegant and slightly weird in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the classic Tokyo fashion. A little oversweet. I try to. I love their sweet cocktails in Tokyo. All right, I'm having this pina colada now. This looks to me like the best
2: pina colada in New York City. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, this looks nuts. I mean, I joke around with people, and a lot of truth is said in jest. I always say, like, I make the best piña colada on earth. We just ranked I'm,
0: them on Grub Street. I believe you make the second
2: best piña colada you, on and earth, and according and to you, our writer. And you fucked up. I'm <laughs> Puerto you. Rican, goddammit. That's the national drink of Puerto Rican. <laughs> Thank you so much. But long story short, one thing I always like, mm. you know, especially if you say you go to cocktail bars, I'm just like, oh, how many cocktail bars have you been oh. in New York City that had blenders? That's right. a, that, that is Not a, a single one.
1: snowball from heaven right here.
2: <laughs> we use our set. We use a we, we use, we use blender for a lot of things. I always yeah. think it's silly. It's just like I oh, think, man, try that. What kind of rum? I don't have one. Um, um, for that one, Puerto Rican rum and spiced rum. Sickness. House cream of coconut, fresh pineapple. It's got
1: the twirly straw, the colored the twirly, twirly straw. straw. Now, this Negroni here, a lot of ice. Why?
2: Um, oh, my God. Well, let's let us let us go back. Italy. Well, let's go back. Let's 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 talk about the Italians. If you're gonna think about the Negroni, think about the Italians. The Italians don't make strong drinks, right? So let's say Apérol Spritz. Let's say Fernet and soda. Um, always light, uh, you know, Amaro's that are you know scented, you know, Campari soda. Um, the Torino, which is basically a co- combination of Vermouth and Campari. Um, so the Negroni it works the same way. Use, I don't want to call it crappy ice. Use finely chopped ice. Equal parts, one, one, one. You theoretically should be able to drink Negronis all fucking day and not get hammered. Right.
1: Ah, so it's like a pims cup a bit. Exactly.
2: You drink it like end of the afternoon,
0: before dinner. You just sit. You let it get watery. You let it just chill.
1: Listen to you. That's, you know your there's stuff. There's nothing
0: better than being in Italy and drinking a spritz or a, a Negroni before dinner. A couple olives. They give you a bag of potato chips. I don't know how many
2: times I'd see a Negroni and it's just like it's really strong. You can only sip one. This it is a light and that. beautiful... You yeah. want a jug of those. It's just like you could... Like you were saying, like, before dinner, I'm like, I'll have a Negroni. You want a That'll jug. be light. It's not mm-hmm. going to kill your appetite. You know, the bitter settles everything. It works.
1: Mmm. Now, what is this beauty? I missed it.
2: Oh, this is a Ramos Gin Fizz. This is the Ramos
0: Gin Fizz. Oh,
1: famous. This is the uh, New Orleans.
0: This is classically, notoriously, the hardest drink to make in a cocktail bar. Oh, that's beautiful.
2: Bar. So that's got the egg white in it or something? It's it a, has, It's a flippy. It has egg white cream. The beautiful thing, really nice. this mm. is where this is where I may or may I, this is this is where I'm going to nerd out on you a little. There here here be- go. I can't be- talk about it without getting technical. This
1: is a beautiful
0: drink.
2: Um, Has orange blossom water.
1: Listen to you, Admiral.
2: <laughs> Eyes wide. Old. I doughy. do like
0: a Ramos Gin Fizz. You never see him.
2: A lot of guests always feel bad ordering it. Henry Ramos is the inventor of that cocktail. It's about as old as a sazerac. It's a New Orleans drink, um, but he used to have eight. Bartenders back there shaking the cocktail. It'd be shaking for about 12, 15 minutes. And we have this beautiful thing called emulsification that happens, which basically glues everything together. You never really see a proper oh, Ramos. Oh, that was
0: sick. Because
2: yeah. what, you, what you have is a lot of separation. It's almost like when you have like a mayonnaise that breaks. Right. But you'll have a soda water that rise, makes it rise. We run that through the blender. I mean, my blenders can freaking blend golf clubs. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Um, I run it through the blender once. Then we run it again on ice. Then we run it three times for you know, I think about a minute and a half. Yeah. Um, and eventually, till we get every component in there: egg white, cream, gin, citrus, to glue. And then, if your proper Ramos always almost has a texture of like almost like heavy cream yogurt.
1: I love your straws. Prosecco. Where do you get your straws?
2: I know a guy. <laughs> called Amazon.
1: You can have you can, you can have your apple you can have your apple strips. You're you know what? You know pina what pina you can't have. You can't have this pina colada. This pina colada is... What What, what do you say? It's like... What do you say? It's like a real superlative for the young people. What, like what? The bomb? So...
0: So, here we are. What do you think, Platt? Has, I think, I think have I convinced a, you? So let's you talk know, about the, can the I just genesis say, of this can episode. I just say? The genesis of this episode was... Platt was saying we should do something on brown spirits which struck me as a little like let's do an episode on kale or pork belly <laughs> like it's, it's, something that it's something that it's uh, something that of course is still pervasive and that we love and I, I said, thought no. I thought well, let's I, go no. somewhere and talk about no. what's new no. I said let's and go what, to what's still we let's go to the
1: whole like people brewing weird things in Brooklyn and go to the written <laughs> let's get to the bottom how they make this stuff and the animal goes no let's do cocktails again for the 400th time I Let's talk about the guys with whiskers and their suspenders again for the 500th time. But that's not but what we're now, talking about. But now I see that the weird, the, uh, this is, these, are, these, these drinks are wonderful and we're in the presence of a real scholar of his craft. And I'm drinking the pina colada and you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy. It's better than some high-tone nouveau... Spirit Mill out in Red Hook. Any day. Drink your pina colada. Oh, here, I'm gonna have another sip of this. Hang on. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have more than a sip, actually. <laughs> oh, i got a headache. So that's yeah.
0: it? Oh, so I got a snowball flat's headache. Flats over there getting get snookered. I got a pina colada headache now. He's three I, deep. I'm gonna have to lie down. So <clears throat> that's it for another edition. Of the Grub Street podcast. Thanks, as always, to Panoply, Andy Bowers, and Laura Mayer. Our producer Dingman, right here, enjoying his uh, nouveau gin and tonic. He's also he's getting a little red in the face. Uh, not red enough, mind you. And uh, listen to us again. Thanks so much.